0: Resilience Conversations, 10 years on from the Christchurch Earthquake. This conversation is between Dr. Juliet Meehan of the Resilience Shift and Dr. Kristin McCaskill of the University of Cambridge. This podcast series was brought to you by the Resilience Shift, an initiative of Lloyd's Register Foundation and ARAP.
1: table a couple of years ago what were the sort of the key lessons that came out when you're looking back on a you know such a significant event
0: I think one of the key things that stood out for me was the understanding that emerged of the interaction between the physical and social impacts of an event now obviously with an earthquake and being an engineer you know we look directly to the um, physical infrastructure and the the amount of work that needs to be done to bring that back into service. There was awareness among the engineers that where they started was important, you know, and could have implications from the wider perspective in terms of the contribution to the community recovery. So at a very early stage, the engineers didn't, and I'm talking about the the infrastructure networks as opposed to the, the, the buildings in the central business district, which is another aspect to it. But they worked with the recovery authority to try and identify how the reconstruction or the timing of the reconstruction in different suburbs might help the wider recovery's ambitions in terms of where the most vulnerable communities were. And I think what came out in the roundtable and some of the observations of the um, participants was just reinforcing that there are lessons that you can learn or at least create better situational awareness just by putting yourself in the room with people who are from other disciplines, but are still working to the same agenda or the same end goal that you are. I mean that's a great lesson
1: that chimes with a with a lot of the things that we've been talking about reflecting on Covid the multidisciplinary response that that needs and I was struck also by the other thing you said Christian about the learning not only about the physical impacts but also the social impacts because to me that was reinforced by Covid when suddenly nothing was working effectively even though there wasn't a physical impact suddenly it was all about the people but I think there's something important about building up the evidence from all these different crises and, and the common themes. So I wonder whether you can sort of summarise the legacy of the earthquake for Christchurch. What What's changed in their operations? How are they doing things differently now?
0: There, there is a huge and ongoing legacy of the earthquakes just because of the extent of damage. Yes, naturally, I go back to looking at the physical side. Yeah. I mean, there There is also... The, the social well-being legacy of some ongoing issues if you look at things like suicide rates uh, and there there are statistically significant ramifications of the major event but from the the physical side you know the whole central city it, w- it was so impacted that the recovery has facilitated developing the central city in a different way and if you go, there now, there's quite vibrant elements to the central city that didn't exist or wasn't possible to make them happen in the same way before the event. So I I see that as quite a positive outcome. Uh, There's still a lot of work to be done and a lot of gaps still in the central city, but the way that the city is organised, I think, is helping to bring people back into the central business district in a way that wouldn't have happened otherwise
1: you may not be able to answer this question. Sorry, I know you're from New Zealand, but obviously you haven't been able to go to New Zealand for quite some time. But I'm just wondering if you've got any reflections, even at a distance. Did Christchurch respond to earthquake in a way that made it ready for other surprises, such as pandemic? You know, do we always tend to focus on the last disaster that happened?
0: It's really hard not to focus on the last event that happened. I mean, when when we did the roundtable, that was the sort of dominant part of the discussion. We did talk about other events or other possibilities, but we didn't specifically talk about a health event impacting the city. Although, as part of the earthquake recovery, there was a big concern at one stage about the potential secondary possibility of a major health event because of the wastewater treatment systems not working properly. But a lot of work was done to to prevent that as part of the emergency response, and that's a big success of the recovery. But in terms of thinking about how the city was prepared for the health event, uh, one reflection i have without being there um, in amongst everything is the particular awareness among the city council on its role in supporting the well-being of its community um, mm. and, and a sensitivity around that and my assumption would be that if you dig down you will see that narrative cropping up in some of the actions of the council i, I don't have the the direct evidence but that would be my feeling particularly as it, it came out of the round table, you know, there is an awareness that the city council was there, whether or not you're building infrastructure or directly working on community related activities, that you're there to serve the community.
1: Excellent, yeah, and I, and that, it just, it reminds me from the round table of there was a quote that meant, it's the people, it's the people, it's the people. And one of the other stories that struck me from the round table and the conversations you had was, on one side, the city council understanding the importance of engaging the people but also how the community got stuck in and I would imagine that there is a like community cohesion that comes from the way people respond to crises and that would have made a difference in the, the past year as well.
0: I think there's some repeated lessons around reflecting on how you engage the community going forward and planning for future risks and how you might invest and respond and the trade-offs that come with that and there are repeated aspects in the response to the earthquake and also some subsequent planning that happened after the earthquake that was actually looking more forward to uh, climate change and how you engage your communities and I think that that is still a big question for everyone around the world because there is a lot of push for we need communities to be involved in the decision-making but there is also a limit to which people have time and the interest to do that when there isn't an emergency right on their horizon because they've got to focus on their day-to-day running their families and doing their jobs. And there's a balance, I think, that I guess we need to revisit as a sort of communities and democracy, what we want our elected representatives to make decisions for us or the expert engineers to make decisions for us versus the decisions that we, as a wider community, want to be involved in. Makes sense.
1: And um, so I think the final point, Kristen, that I'd be interested to to pick up on, and it's a pretty big question, so I don't think we can, we can tackle it fully, but what Christchurch experienced is really important because it's an event that it was unprepared for because of its size. So when we're talking about resilience, we talk about both the sort of unknown unknowns that we weren't ready for, but also the risks that we're not able to reduce or control because Christchurch, you know, they they knew about earthquakes, they were ready for earthquakes. They weren't aware that it could be this big, such an important lesson. And until it has happened, I feel that's very hard for cities and countries to do something about is that what if question, what if it's bigger than we're thinking of, or what if the flood defences fail, those kind of things. So I just wondered, have there been wider sort of lessons built on Christchurch that have changed earthquake design or dealing with other hazards and risks globally, or does it remain quite a sort of regional specific example?
0: I mean, I think New Zealand is still trying to learn from it in the sense that even though we've got quite an advanced disaster risk management regime, and some of it is world leading, or at least best practice but there are still things that we should review uh, in the sense that the country still relies quite heavily on when there is a major event that it will bring in new legislation uh, or emergency legislation to to manage it. So even though there is an emergency management framework, a, a major influence on the recovery process and a lot of tensions in the recovery is linked back to the way that the Christchurch Earthquake Recovery Act was enacted and facilitated. And I'm not suggesting that countries would be able to set up comprehensive frameworks in advance that's going to cover any situation, but I think it highlights that there could still be more more work done up front so that these things aren't as new as they are in the the response phase. Yeah. And, Um, And I think there are wider lessons around the globe to be learnt from that. But what I think is also good to see is people or governments and institutions reviewing how they perceive risk. And, you know, the the standard risk management practice that we have now hasn't always existed. You know, it it sort of developed in the 1990s and people are starting to see, well, that has limitations and brings in certain biases to our decision making. And I think there's wider learning and engagement and challenging of that um, process, which I think is really great.
1: Yeah, which has probably come, I guess, from Christchurch plus a series of other events and it does kind of build up. And I think that is important for us in what we're you know, collectively trying to do as Resilience Shift. You can't necessarily point at Christchurch only and say you learn this lesson, but once you're talking about Christchurch, about Cape Town, about how national local governments have responded to COVID, you, you do then build up the, kind of the more compelling message that thinking about the risks that we know about isn't adequate. Is there anything else, Kristin, that you think we could pick up in this conversation? You
0: know, Any key reflections? I think rereading the round table report, I noticed a quote that we pulled out from one of the participants and we highlighted this in the report and they said that universally, uh, there's an adequate recognition of the importance of preparedness. And I think that links back to my comment around reviewing risk management techniques, part of going forward is actually valuing the effort that goes into being prepared for possibilities, rather than just being prepared for the things that might have the highest risk of or likelihood of occurring in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent
1: point. And, and do you think that preparedness should come more from government downwards or more from individuals sort or of families and households upwards?
0: I think there is an expectation on governance to set the culture for doing it. I, I don't think governments say, well, it's an individual responsibility if they aren't showing the way that this is part of how we do things and how we should do things as a society. And I think there is some responsibility on government to do that, given individuals don't have control over how critical infrastructure assets are managed and delivered. That is responsibility that comes under the bigger organisations and institutions, which ultimately have to report to government.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. My perspective as an outsider is that Christchurch physically wasn't ready for this earthquake but actually as a city and as a community it was resilient. The response and recovery that helped. There's a very long tail isn't there? The the rapid response worked but some things are still not fixed and I think that's really interesting to reflect on 10 years later. I, I don't know, I don't know whether you know
0: whether this long tail is particularly slow in Christchurch. No, it's very normal. There are some frameworks that were developed back in either the late 60s or 70s from some researchers who were the early researchers in studying the recovery process. And these 10 to 15 year tail to a major event is really normal when it comes to doing those really major structural changes. So it's not unsurprising that some of the bigger issues in Christchurch or bigger rebuilding projects aren't completed yet. But it's still taken longer than expected when they did the early projections in the the early years after the event.
1: Right, and that's important, I suppose. Even if it is normal, what can we do to get faster? Because we're talking about more frequent catastrophic events. If we were thinking of climate change, you can't wait 10 years because another thing will have hit and there's a cascading effect, I guess, from repeated events.
0: Yeah, and there's one aspect that is quite interesting and we might see a bit more of it coming out of COVID, you know, with the narrative around uh, green recovery it hasn't been an environmental event but it's helped pave the way to to push that agenda forward a challenge in Christchurch was you want to move from a response to a recovery phase as quickly as possible right to help your communities move on but in doing that you go know, there's less time to consult people and often around the world our, our political processes around planning take a lot of time because there's supposed to be a lot of consultation and revision that goes into it so your planning for these big major structural changes is condensed, yet these changes could have much more dramatic impact on how cities will look at 10 years down the track, more so than what any other planning you had been doing before. But there's a limited time to consult on that vision and that process, and also disappointment if you come up with a big vision and then there's aspects to it that were just unrealistic and that gets er eroded brilliant yeah, super important, I think,
1: Kristen, the balance to uh, both respond quickly but recover as well as you possibly can. there's there's always going to be tensions in there. Thank you. I think that was a really interesting. thanks for all your points, and I suppose the the reflection for me is things fade, and ten years has gone faster than I would like to have hoped and we don't get lessons like this all the time They're super important lessons how do we distill them and condense them and I suppose you know the the round table was a good example of that but you know if if you've got any final thoughts on how you how you preserve those memories and lessons
0: I think it takes constant work right the the round table in itself you know didn't have a direct impact but it was part of a process and hopefully it was a point at which people came together that we can continue conversation and relationships and, and hopefully in Christchurch that's helped spark one or two things as well to, to move things forward. So any sort of one-off event doesn't have an impact but it's about supporting bringing people together. Yeah. It's one event among many different initiatives and I think any of them on their own won't achieve um, an impact but it's about continuing to have this type of conversation that helps to progress the agenda forward. You've been listening to Resilience Conversations from The Resilience Shift. Follow us at resilienceshift.org.